Nativity set is defective. If it has three wise men at the manger presenting their gifts right alongside shepherds to a dear eight pounds, six ounces, newborn infant Jesus who don't even know a word yet, this episode should turn the entire Christmas story on its head for you. When the Magi entered Jerusalem seeking the king of the Jews, Herod saw this as a potential invasion. Welcome to episode six of Bible Nerds Weekly. We're spending 2021 going through the Gospel of Matthew because we believe that understanding Jesus in his historic, geographic, religious, and cultural context helps us see Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly day by day. I'm David Jesse. Thanks for joining me. It's Christmas Carol time. Bible nerds. I'm David Jesse. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, why you will probably keep singing We Three Kings of Orient are every year after this episode. I hope that you'll never think of the Christmas story the same way again. Now, if you're listening to this for the very first time, I want to encourage you, go back, check out the previous episodes. Each week we build on what's come before. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check out previous uh, episodes and articles on thebiblenerds.com. All right, the wise men, uh, they were so much more than a few rich guys on camels bearing gifts. Uh, they were looking for a king, uh, and they were prepared to anoint him as sovereign over Rome's greatest rival. of Christ's birth, uh, Rome's sworn enemy, was the Parthian Empire. Herod the Great's own father had been defeated by the Parthians 55 years before the birth of Jesus. Even after Herod had been installed as the king of the Jews by Mark Anthony, he was forced to remain in exile for three years while the Romans struggled to drive the Parthians out of Jerusalem. The Parthians also had a bicameral legislature that was centuries ahead of its time. And this legislative house that was responsible for selecting the new king was called the Magi. Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll read it, and then we'll have a lot to talk about uh, with it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and the experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening uh, to the king, they left. And once again, they saw the star in its rising, and it led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back by another route to their own country. The Magi are all throughout the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah wrote of them. They were the interpreters of dreams for Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. And even there was one that tried to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter in Acts chapter 8. But when we look at who they are historically, the evidence about who they were and their political importance is unbelievable. The Magi began as a religious system in the 7th century BC. In many ways, they followed practices that mirrored ancient Israel. They refused graven images and statues. They had restricted diets. Um, They functioned as the religious mediators between the Persians and their god. And while Darius the Great ruled over Persia, the Magi proved they could correctly interpret dreams. They became the hereditary priesthood of the Persian Empire, Daniel rose to prominence within this group and was given the title of Rab Mag, or Chief of the Magi. During the final centuries before Christ, the Magi accumulated more and more influence. The emperors and kingdoms uh, rose and fell. But the Magi's power only increased, and by the time Christ was born, the Magi were the kingmakers of the Parthian Empire. All right, remember back to the second episode in this series. The only person who was called the king of the Jews was Herod, and he's paranoid. He's vindictive, and when he feels threatened, you need to get out of his way. So if the haunting little Christmas carol that we're so fond of told the real story, then these three kings were dead men. Um, They entered into Jerusalem asking around about this newly born king of the Jews. That's signing your own death sentence. But Herod doesn't kill them. In fact, he's terrified of them. Ask yourself, why? Look a little closer at this story. Not only is uh, Herod terrified, but it says that all of Jerusalem was as well. Three guys on camels asking about a baby uh, scared an entire city uh, to death. It's not likely. Remember this. The Magi are the kingmakers of Parthia. The Parthian Empire was the arch enemy of ancient Rome. And the most contested battleground where the war was waged was a little strip of land nestled between the two empires known as Judea. Herod the Great's father was defeated and driven into exile by the Parthians. When Herod the Great uh, was appointed his successor by Mark Antony, it took three years for the Romans to win back Jerusalem. But there's more. 
Um, the Parthian Empire had an alliance with the Hasmonean dynasty, the Jewish priest kings, famous from the Hanukkah story. Um, Parthia supported Jewish self-rule. Many of the citizens of Israel preferred Parthian control over Roman. And now members of their legislative body have entered into Jerusalem, speaking of a new Jewish king. So again, why didn't Herod kill them? Because it wasn't a trio of royal wise men on camels who entered the city. As the official delegates of the Parthian Empire, these magi, however many there were, were accompanied by hundreds, if not thousands, of soldiers, support staff, and servants. When the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, Herod and the rest of the city feared an invasion. All right, now we've talked about the wise men. Let's talk a little bit about the star. Many Christians have speculated over the past 2,000 years what that star was um, that these wise men followed. But with today's advances in science, we're actually able to see what the skies of Jesus' birth looked like. And the story told in those stars is is fascinating. Um, The vision of John written in the book of Revelation is a powerful clue uh, indicating where we should be looking in the heavens. Uh, The constellations are powerful signs in the heavens that God ordained as indicators of his prophetic plan for humanity. He talks about it as far back as Genesis chapter 1. God ordained the stars. He named each one of them. He planted a story in the heavens that tells of his overwhelming love for mankind and his plan for redemption and restoration. And John's vision in Revelation 12 is seen in the heavens at the precise timing that we should be looking for the birth of the Messiah. At that very moment in time, uh, Jupiter, which is known in every ancient language as the king planet, came into perfect conjunction with Regal, which is also known in every other ancient language as the king star. And this conjunction takes place directly above the constellation Virgo, meaning which is translated virgin. When when this virgin is clothed in the sun with the moon at its feet, John connects this vision with a clear prophecy of the birth of Messiah. This is a really powerful sign. This isn't astrology. This is God's story of redemption in creation. The moon in this vision also gives us an even closer picture. The Hebrew calendar is actually based on the phases of the moon. And the beginning of the new month is determined by the sighting of the first sliver of the new moon. In the sky in September of the year that the Messiah was born, the year Jesus was born, we find the first sliver of the new moon being sighted and combining that um, with the fact that this would not only indicate the beginning of a new month, but it also begins the seventh, uh, the, the sighting of the seventh moon on the J- Jewish religious calendar. This month is the start of the Feast of Yom Teruah, or uh, what's known in modern uh, Judaism as Rosh Hashanah, also called the Feast of Trumpets, the day of the awakening blast. Trumpets are sounding in heaven. 
Now, when this conjunction between Jupiter and Regulus takes place, the king planet and the king star, um, this is also really significant. Again, if you look, if you look in the sky here, you see that Jupiter is moving in what's called a retrograde motion. It's moving back and forth. The, the planets move differently than the rest of the stars, and it's moving back and forth between the feet of the constellation Leo or the Lion. The lion is the symbol for the tribe of Judah, uh, which is the tribe that Jesus was born from. Um, And this goes back to Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh come, and until him shall the gathering of the people be. So there's some key words uh, in this prophecy by Jacob over uh, his son Judah, and they unlock the meaning of this passage first. The word scepter in Hebrew is shebet, uh, which means a branch or a rod or a staff that indicates rule. The second important word is feet, um, which is in Hebrew regal or not regal as in like king, but regal, R-E-G-E-L. The third is Shiloh or Shiloach, which means the one to bring peace. So with a closer look at these three Hebrew words, we see a curious picture taking shape. A branch, which indicates rule, will remain between the feet of Judah, which is represented by the lion, until Shiloh or until the Messiah, the one who brings peace, comes. The Messiah is actually referred in in the Old Testament numerous times as the branch. So if you look at this description of a regular feet, it indicates the importance of the number three. It, it, it unlocks the vision of Revelation chapter 12. Due to the optical illusion known as retrograde motion we talked about, Jupiter, the king planet, comes into conjunction with Regulus, the king's star, within the feet of Leo, or the lion of the tribe of Judah, three times um, at the very date of the Feast of Trumpets and the year that Christ is born. Is there any wonder that the Magi, upon seeing all these signs in the heavens, made their way to Jerusalem looking for a newly born Messiah? Herod had every reason to be fearful of the Magi. The Parthian force would have been announced for days or weeks before getting to Jerusalem. When the official kingmakers of Rome's enemy arrived, they arrived asking about the new king of the Jews. And when the Magi who studied the heavens uh, explained the star of Bethlehem to the religious and political rulers, they became terrified. A threat was miles away from the throne. The king had been born. There are two Old Testament scriptures quoted in the story of Herod's attempt to murder the newborn king of the Jews. In their original context, these verses have absolutely nothing to do with the Messiah. We'll try to figure it out or whatever is going on in the next episode. If this episode has challenged you, created curiosity for you about studying the Bible in its context, then please subscribe to the Bible Nerds Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we have this show, um, Bible Nerds Weekly, 
15 minutes, maybe a little longer some days, some weeks, uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew in its historic, geographic, religious, and cultural context. And then we have Bible Nerds Daily, Monday through Friday. It comes out every morning, about 10 minutes long, and we're looking at different themes and, co- and, uh, and ideas in their context. Um, make sure you subscribe. So we don't want you to miss a single episode. The Bible is a supernatural book. It is about a supernatural God who works in supernatural ways. So if you're not reading the Bible like that with a supernatural worldview, then you're not reading it correctly. You need to check out um, Dr. Michael S. Heiser's book that is entitled Supernatural, what the Bible teaches about the unseen world and why it matters. There's a link for it in the show notes, and it's also on thebiblenerds.com. If this podcast is an encouragement to you and you want to pay it forward, then please check out the ministry of One Child. It means the world to me. Uh, One Child brings hope to hard places. They help children around the world who are facing extreme poverty. And you can be a child champion. You can bring food, medicine, education, and the love of Jesus Christ to children who wouldn't have it otherwise. Make a one-time donation, a recurring donation, or step up to the plate and sponsor a child for just $39 a month. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. You can check out all the information on thebiblenerds.com. If you uh, want to stay up to date on everything going on uh, with the Bible Nerds, as well as other content, go to www.thebiblenerds.com. Again, thebiblenerds.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and you can like our Facebook page and stay up to date that way. A child is born who's going to deliver Israel from horrific slavery. And the ruler that has enslaved them seeks to to kill that child and all of the other young male children. This story seems oddly familiar. We'll talk a lot about that and some prophecies that don't seem to make sense next week. But for now, go read your Bible.